So just to give you a little bit of a background, um, I think it was a couple of years ago in January of 2019 when uh, Dr. Mishra, you had um, invited me to Shurabindo Society to give a talk on decolonizing India studies in Shurabindo. And uh, towards the end of the talk, I read a few lines from Shurabindo. I'm going to read them again. And this will be the beginning of the talk. So in a certain sense, there's a continuity which is uh, driving this initiative. In the Renaissance in India, Shurabindo writes, the recovery of old spiritual knowledge and experience in all its splendor, depth, and fullness is its first most essential work. The flowing of this spirituality into new forms of philosophy, literature, art, science, and critical knowledge is the second. An original dealing with modern problems in the light of the Indian spirit and the endeavor to formulate a great synthesis of spiritualized society in the third, is the third and most difficult. Its success on these three lines will be the measure of its help to future of humanity. Interestingly, the title of my talk also has actually been picked up from uh, this passage. In terms of successes, um, there certainly have been few successes in post-independent India. India, since antiquity, has accessed knowledge through yogic means, through spiritual means. And by the grace of the divine, I would say that there has always been a continuity of yogis on the Indian soil. The yogis are still there. I would not take their names. I don't want to get into any kind of controversy. And these yogis, in interaction with people, are continuing what has been the quintessential Indian way. This certainly is a massive success. India is undergoing an economic growth. It is reducing poverty increasingly with every passing day. These are certainly some of the successes. However, I am going to talk about the failures today. And the reason why I'm going to talk about the failures is not because I want to criticize. I'm going to talk about the failures precisely because I care. I care deeply about the Indian tradition, the Indian civilization, and India. And I deeply care for the vision of Sri Aurobindo, and it is basically this inspiration which is guiding this talk. I am basically going to talk about the scenario that we find in the Indian educational system and what, we, what needs to be done moving forward as we talk about the vision of Shurabindo in those lines that I read. In post-independent India, what I find at the educational level, at the intellectual level, 
there hasn't been a sound vigorous analysis of the psychological as well as sociological consequences of colonization i can totally understand that the experience was very very traumatic what happened at the hour of independence was even more tra traumatic and it is quite possible that the intellectuals of the country did not want to address the trauma to a level that it should have been addressed and the reconstruction of india began and of course you know the reconstruction of india began with the best of intentions the intentions were absolutely sound there's no doubt about it but colonization leads to certain psychological consequences and it is time that after a few years have passed that we take into account those consequences i've been teaching courses under the section of post colonial hindu studies at the hindu university of america and it's basically the psychological and sociological consequences that we are looking into uh, in this particular concentration and i'm going to bring some of those insights for the talk today one of the major consequences of colonization is that it causes profound inferiority complex within the colonized population or the erstwhile colonized population and this inferiority complex does not go away just like that it remains within the population and it remains within the population for a long period of time until unless civilizationally the inferiority complex begins to get addressed significantly and sufficiently this inferiority complex it manifests us uh, in the lives of us indians every day i will only take a couple of examples i won't go into too many details incidentally i don't have much time i will talk about how we deal with indian languages vis-a-vis -vis the english language and how we deal with our own culture vis-a-vis -vis the western culture and for that i'm just going to take the example of the dresses that we wear i am deliberately taking very very simple examples i'm not going into too many technical details at this point in time the pan indian situation at this point in time is that if an individual speaks good english then that individual is considered knowledgeable sophisticated civilized profound sublime and so on and so forth on the contrary people even if they have good command over the vernacular languages they are not held in high regard or high esteem this is particularly in reference to hindi and sanskrit if you come to a university like delhi university 
I'm a product of Delhi University. I've experienced this, that the people who studied Hindi and Sanskrit, they were not considered cool or they were not looked up to by the students or by their fellow students. And the reality hasn't really changed even today. Let me take another example. And this is particularly with respect to men. How many of us can get into traditional clothing without an entourage around us and find ourselves deeply respected at places which are considered elite in India? I come from Bihar originally. And I'm pretty much certain that if I wear dhoti kurta, and if I don't have an entourage, the basic human dignity, in all probability, will be denied to me at the elite places in India. This is a reality, and we need to face this reality. With these examples, what I'm saying is that the deep inferiority complex that we have which operates at unconscious and conscious level disconnects us from our languages our culture and our civilization and when i'm talking about civilization i am basically talking about the cosmological core that our civilization has anybody who's uh, investigated the Indian system of thought would be able to validate or substantiate that the modus operandi of knowledge pursuit in India has always been yogic, right from the beginnings of the civilization, right from the Vedic times. This yogic process over a period of time has accrued to us profound literature in various languages. At this point in time, at the civilizational level, are we taking those pieces of literature seriously? Are we treating them as knowledge and not relegating them to religious studies or some insignificant departments and universities where they are not studied properly. This cosmological pursuit basically forms the core of our civilization, and this core of our civilization has been enunciated in Vedanta, Jainism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Sufism, and so on and so forth. When Sri Aurobindo talks about the recovery of spiritual experience and knowledge, this is precisely what he's talking about. He's basically asking us to engage in yogic pursuits more and more, and through that process, also recover that knowledge, that spiritual knowledge which is there in literature in various languages in India, and bring them to a greater visibility.
that visibility is not there our educational system at this point in time is thoroughly colonized we do a thing, we we do certain things here and there but this deep connection with the process of recovery is not there most people when they will approach this wealth of knowledge will start bifurcating these knowledge systems in terms of science and religion in terms of science and philosophy in terms of religious and sec and secular we fundamentally need to understand that these binary operations they specifically from come from western cosmology and this transposition of western uh, cosmology is not going to really help us in our pursuit all these systems of thought are darshan we all know about this you know we we talk about it also but the issue here is are we taking this darshan seriously this darshan essentially has come from a pursuit which goes beyond mind and it goes beyond what is known as positivism in the present context so basically this system of thought is beyond the two paradigms or two approaches of knowledge pursuit that are predominant in western cosmology positivism equals mainstream science and rationalism equals philosophy if you will you take literature from any of the various traditions indian traditions that i spoke about they all are talking about the transcendence of senses and mind in order to gather knowledge of the ultimate the most unfortunate part in post independent post colonial india is that we may be giving lip service to these knowledge systems but we are not taking them seriously at the intellectual level this matter is not hindu buddhist jain you know muslim or christian we can look at the yogic or the um the the spiritual pursuits in all these traditions and create a body of knowledge which will guide the advance of the indian civilization that is the first step that needs to be taken what is the second step that needs to be taken when we start engaging in these traditions very quickly we will find that there are similarities and differences amongst these traditions the similarities that you have within the traditions they basically form the cosmological core of the civilization our intellectual pursuits basically need to be founded upon that core so what is shurabindo talking about you know when it comes to the second point he says that after the knowledge has been recovered that knowledge needs to flow in new forms 
of philosophy, psychology, you know, and various other disciplines. So we basically need to reformulate all these different disciplines that are being talked about, particularly in social sciences, in the light of what gets recovered through the process that we have been talking about. And then the third step, of course, you know, is the application of that core in addressing the unique problems that India is facing at this point in time. Now, the last point that I want to make on this particular issue, the governmental involvement in this project will become very, very important. And it will need to go beyond the party line. And it will certainly, uh, you know, important not to make this approach as partisan. As I mentioned earlier, there are many different traditions. All these different traditions have yogic or spiritual core. They have to be brought out and they have to be brought out and brought together. Now, the reason why I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm saying is that this, this, the, the governmental uh, backing of this pursuit or this approach is important because if you look at the history of how India was colonized intellectually, there was a certain process that was, uh, was, that was followed. And interestingly, it's basically by following a very similar kind of process that decolonization of India will happen. I just want to take very quickly the example of James Mill. James Mill in 1817 published a three-volume work on history of British India. By the time it was 1818, the book, or rather the books, you know, became very famous in England. Based on the popularity of James Mill, James Mill was hired by East India Company. By the time it was 1823, James Mill was number two in the hierarchy of British officials of East India Company operating from England. And by the time it was 1830, he was the chief. So in a certain sense, he had become the CEO of the East India Company. Now, this three-volume work, that became part of the curriculum of Hellebury College. That college in England, which was training British civil servants to operate in India. James Mill was also an instrumental figure in establishing University of London. University of London was created in, op in opposition to Oxford and Cambridge. So whatever he wrote, that became part of University of London curriculum based on history of British uh, India. 
there were certain governmental in, uh, interventions that were also made in uh, made in india i don't have time to go into all those details and when the britishers started establishing universities in india books that were written reflecting the uh, the contentions of james mill became part of the indian educational system i have investigated it very very deeply the the history that we that we study even today it's a reflection or it's a it's a, it's a sanitized version of history of british india so what i'm saying is that once this narrative was generated by james mill he got the massive civilizational support of britain in transforming the educational system in india and the society in india so until and unless this initiative of decolonizing india is taken at the topmost level at the topmost governmental level this process will not happen and it is important that we recognize this and we start working in this direction so with those words uh, dr mishra i close and thank you very much for inviting me to uh, give a talk on this very very important subject matter thank you uh, thank you professor singh uh, for your presentation and uh, like uh, you raised very very pertinent points when you uh, talked about uh, james mill and uh, like the kind of his distorted version of indian history that we get from uh, from the imperialist historians so my question is that you know uh, sir uh, would you like to also comment on uh, james mills periodization because i think uh, his periodization is something the legacy of which is still uh, on us uh, in through uh, through the history textbooks ancient uh, you know ancient medieval and british the way he periodizes uh, indian history so uh, what would be your like opinion um, um, so far as this particular colonial periodization uh, is concerned and how can we really come out of this well you know as uh, the larger point that i made um, which is that the entire history which uh, which is being taught at this point in time you know is basically a reflection of uh, uh the history which was written by james mill and uh, you know his history of india was also inspired by a western cosmology the cosmology in which he was embedded he never came to india you know to write india's history and is another piece you know which we need to recognize which is that he wrote his piece on india in opposition uh or let me put it this way in binary opposition to Uh, william jones so this entire history is actually massively distorted it's not that you know the james mill or oh, sorry or william jones was writing was accurate william jones also was writing india's uh, not not really history but you know but whatever he wrote on india the indian culture and stuff like that and particularly you know uh, india's jurisprudence that also was embedded in western cosmology and then in response to what william jones wrote and whatever was produced uh, by asiatic society um, you know james mill inverted that discourse 
so when it comes to india's representation or when it comes to the distortion of india's history what you find is a double whammy you know william jones distorts certain things and those things further get distorted by james mill and uh, whatever james mill is writing that is within the framework of western cosmology uh, you know his western experience so this is you know this is my answer to your first question so it's not only period 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 periodization but you know but the the uh, the entire history that we encounter at this point in time so what is the way forward you know the way forward is first to deconstruct you know first to basically expose thoroughly how uh, the the history that we are studying uh, in india at this point in time is a reflection of history predominantly written by james mill which was in opposition to william jones and then really start correcting it so there's a lot of work that actually needs to happen and for me the framework which will be important will be deconstruction and reconstruction so you first need to deconstruct you know the narrative the current narrative that that we have and then in light of uh, the deconstruction you have to reconstruct you basically need to figure out what what the the history was really like and given that india has been uh, a profoundly intellectual culture if we uh, put our efforts in this direction we will be able to do it but this work hasn't really happened you know fortunately in the next year year and a half there should be some important work you know uh, coming from me which will shed greater light on this but you know i have already started raising awareness on this issue and uh, and the hope is that collaboratively and in concert we will be able to make this change we will be make we will be able to make this shift